Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. People with amplified pain syndromes have increased sensitivity to pain. The causes and effects are varied, but what's consistent is that healthcare teams that include physical therapists and occupational therapists have a variety of tools in their toolbox to effectively treat these individuals and help people with these syndromes improve and reclaim their lives. Today, we speak with Brandy Dorton and Misty Wilson, a physical therapist and an occupational therapist, respectively, who work at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri. Here's our conversation. Our subject today on Move Forward Radio is Amplified Pain Syndromes, or or APS. Uh, As I was looking at that term, two things immediately uh, jumped out at me. One is that amplified does not sound good. It doesn't sound like something you want to have where pain's involved. And the other thing is that it's plural. It's syndromes, uh, which suggests that that there's more than one thing that that falls under that. So, uh, So I'll start with Brandy. If you could talk a little bit about what APS means and and what types of things uh, can be involved when you're talking about APS. Yeah, absolutely. Amplified pain syndromes really is an umbrella term for many different diagnoses that our adolescents are getting diagnosed with. So, for example, juvenile uh, fibromyalgia may be a common term that families are hearing or central sensitization syndrome or complex regional pain syndrome. So it's kind of this big umbrella term that we're kind of putting all these diagnoses under, um, mm-hmm. but they all kind of respond to the same treatment. And so that's kind of where that comes from. Okay. What causes APS, and um, do certain population groups experience uh, them these these various conditions in greater numbers than than other population groups uh, do? I know I know you treat children. Are are they particularly susceptible? Yeah, I mean absolutely. We're seeing um, that amplified pain syndrome really does affect adolescents, kind of in that twelve to sixteen year old range. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, even children younger than that are getting diagnosed with this. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't honestly know exactly what causes amplified pain syndromes or who is going to be the most susceptible to having this kind of increased pain um, or increased sensitivity to pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that oftentimes um, these adolescents will have kind of a past illness or injury, maybe a sport injury that they never fully recovered from, and mm-hmm. they're still experiencing this kind of long-lasting constant pain. But they can kind of relate back to that incident. So they'll say, oh, yeah, I remember my pain started – you know, when I got sick with strep throat, you know, at that point, they shouldn't still have any kind of pain. Sure. What are some common uh, signs and symptoms uh, uh, likely to be? Chronic pain is the biggest one. So they complain of um, constant pain. It may be in one body part or it may be throughout their entire body. Um, and the pain really is two things that should not cause pain. So it could be pain from walking or pain when they're standing, when they're sitting. It could be you know, their their pants or their leggings. And so these kids are really complaining that almost everything in their life is causing them pain, which is very abnormal. So the pain is much more exaggerated than you would normally see. So something that may cause us a little bit of pain and then kind of go away is mm-hmm. causing them a lot more pain, and it's lasting mm-hmm. for longer periods of time. Mm-hmm. When you say longer periods of time, I mean, what, what kind of duration kind of raises a red flag? We often find that, like, simple injuries like a sprain or a fracture – 
Mm -hmm. like, you know, the normal period of healing time for whatever injury you have, these, this pain lasting far longer than that. So they may say, you know, that they had a sprain six months ago. The pain is still lingering. Well, that's not typical, you know. And so, you know, probably the sprain is not the reason for that pain. And, right. you know, with these, with these adolescents, they have to go through, you know, many different doctor's visits and different testing because there is no one test that will say, you know, you have amplified pain. Everything else has to be ruled out. And that's kind of the hard part about the diagnosis. Um, is that, you know, there isn't a simple blood test or something that you can do to be diagnosed with this. Is there a, a, an issue with uh, with kids who might have this uh, being hesitant to uh, report it because they're afraid that they might not be believed? That's a huge issue. I think oftentimes our physician calls it the invisible diagnosis because from the outside you often can't see this in our kids. You know, you can't see that they're suffering on the inside and that everything is causing them so much pain. Because often our kids can put on a good face and try to do the best they can. Right. You'll often see kind of in what they're doing in their daily life that they're not doing everything they can. They've stopped playing their sport because they have so much difficulty playing their sport. Or they coming home from school multiple days a week or not going to school because they can't get out of bed in the morning. So right. it is hard. It's hard for our kids. Because another thing is, is that um, they may have had a doctor or a medical provider tell them that, now, this is all in your head, or, you know, they don't believe the patient, which is really tough. We have patients who have said that they've encountered someone in the medical world that says, you know, this isn't, I don't know that I believe you, you know, mm -hmm. because there's no other, they can't find anything on the test or, you know, tests or measures that they're finding that would be causing the pain. So it's right. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you both. What are some of the best treatment approaches for, for APS in, in children, and, and what role do your respective disciplines play as, as part of that kind of inter, interprofessional group? The biggest thing that uh, we talk about with this treatment um, in amplified pain syndrome is exercise-based treatment, so exercise-based therapy. We do intense physical activity. Um, we've obviously, all the doctors and um, you know, physicians have kind of checked out everything they need to check out with the patient so that we're not worried that there's a fracture or something going on, in their, you know, with their heart or anything like that that's causing the symptom and kind of learn to push through the pain and make mm -hmm. it through the pain. And that's how we kind of, kind of rewire the pain cycle, essentially. You know, right now the pain cycle in their body is really confused, telling their body that they're always in pain. It's like hypersensitive. It's firing all right. the time. Pain. That causes pain. That hurts. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And so we're really trying to, like, kind of rewire the circuit and um, make the body understand that what they're doing, you know, whether it be walking or moving or exercising, that that doesn't hurt. When you're trying to treat amplified pain, um, we frequently tell our patients that there really is a four-pronged approach, um, and all four prongs are equally important, kind of like the four legs of a table. Um, you need all four legs to hold a table up. So, like Brandy said, exercise therapy is one of those prongs that is very, very important and has to be addressed. Um, the three others that are equally important are desensitization. So, their nerves are very sensitive. As Brandy was saying, you know, some of these kids change what they wear or how they dress based on certain materials and clothing. You know, like a lot of them will say, I don't wear jeans anymore because the denim material is too stiff and it hurts my skin. Um, so desensitization is the second prong. The third one is um, stress management. A lot of these kids are under tons and tons of stress. You know, I mean, if you think about the typical adolescents in our society or our culture now, 
they are really pushed hard for their academic performance, for their sports performance or their music performance or whatever activities they're in. And many of them are very uh, busy, have very full, busy, busy lives, and so they're very stressed out. Um, and then the fourth prong is to, that we all do when we work together, is to change their focus. Um, frequently these kids come in and their life is ruled by their pain in that when a friend asks them, hey, do you want to go to the movies after school tonight, their choice is based on how much pain they're in at that time or how much pain they think they'll be in rather than do what I like to go to the movie. So that fourth prong is focusing on the function instead of the pain and making your decisions based on the activities you want to be involved in or the things you want to do rather than making your choice based on how much pain you may or may not be in at that time. It's interesting that you talk about function there. Is is a big part for in your in your respective roles is is a big part simply identifying what it is the individual wants to be able to do. Absolutely. So it and getting through the treatment for amplified pain, it's very important that both PT and OT can identify the things that are important to these kids because it is so much work to push through that pain, like Brandy was saying earlier, that, you know, you're asked to do this thing that really hurts, and you say, this hurts, and your therapist is standing there in front of you saying, yeah, I know, and I'm sorry, darling, but keep doing it. Um, and so, you know, if these kids are participating simply because someone else, you know, mom or dad or doctor tells them to, it's really hard for them to get through it. But if we can find those activities or those things that are meaningful to them that motivate them, and we remind them of those things that this is why you're going through this, this therapy right now is to get back to this life that you want. It really helps them. And, and it's my, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that, that, that these patients can get uh, totally back to doing what they can. I mean, it's not like something like chronic fatigue syndrome, for instance, where Perhaps that person will will never be at normal function, but the the person can actually have a goal of returning to full function. Is, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. These patients can they can be completely back to normal and have you know essentially no pain at some point in their life, and that's our goal. When they leave our treatment program, our goal is that they're completely functional, and that doesn't mean they don't have pain yet. That means they maybe still, you know, playing some sports or marching in the band or going out with their friends, and they still may have pain. They know how to work through that at that moment, and that helps them progress to the full resolution of pain. And that's our, you know, overall goal, but our, you know, we have to be completely kind of participating in life and kind of getting our minds used to doing that in order to kind of get back to no pain. The thing is they could, you know, never have pain again once pain goes away. You know, but they may have another flare at some point else in their life. But once they've had all the education that they get from the treatment program, usually our, our adolescents are reporting to us that they're they know what to do if they kind of have an onset of a little bit of pain from you know whatever happens to them an illness or an injury or just kind of a little flare up. They kind of know what to do, and so we may not even see them back in our clinic, or you know our physician may never see them again because they know what to do about it, which is really cool to hear. Can you give me some, for instances, when you talk about patient education, what what are some of the things you might be 
telling them and hoping they'll remember and internalize and, and, and kind of take that knowledge as they, as they go forward? One of the things that a lot of the kids will come to us and say, or their mentality or mindset, is when my pain goes away, I will be functional again and I'll get back to life. And the biggest take-home message that we try to work with them on is it has to be the opposite. If you want your pain to go away, you have to be functional first. So function will come before the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. The other big thing I think we try to instill, you know, along with kind of the treatment of amplified pain, is that we try to get them to understand, you know, understand what your amplified pain feels like, but also understand that, you know, after you do a hard workout, you're going to have muscle soreness. And that's, you know, that's normal for all of us to experience. So kind of being able to differentiate between the different types of pain or, you know, feelings in our muscles is also important because it's not saying that, you know, a couple years down the road they may not be playing their sport and have an injury, a legitimate thing that, you know, they should be experiencing pain from. And we need them to know, okay, this is an injury. I'm going to do what I have to do to treat this. But if it lasts longer than, you know, what my doctor thinks it should, then it's probably my amplified pain, and so I need to do this about it. And our our adolescents really understand that when they get out of the, you know, the treatment for amplified pain, which is it's really neat for them to kind of take the control and kind of own uh, what they need to do for their body. I realize every patient is going to be different. Every every kid is going to be different in their in their needs. But what kind of duration are we talking about? How how long might it at least initially? Uh, you know, there might be touch up visits over over time afterward. But about how long might uh, an adolescent be under your care? Really, like you said, it really does vary, and it also varies with how long they've had the pain. So you know, when it kind of started, um, because we know that. The pain doesn't obviously come on overnight, and it's not going to go away overnight. So there's different treatment options out there. Um, most of the time, our patients have gone through an outpatient program, kind of that the normal um, outpatient treatment you would expect. You know, you kind of think of when you think of PT, maybe going to the physical therapy one or twice, once or twice a week, um, getting your hour of physical therapy, and then doing some exercises at home. For a lot of adolescents, that works, and that you know, it's. It's so hard to say a time frame. It's really different for everyone. So that may work for them. They discharge from PT. They kind of go on living their life. There is this just, you know, group of individuals who that doesn't work for. And so they really need to come into a more um, intensive outpatient day program. Um, And that's where they would be with us anywhere from, I would say, on average, three to five weeks. Um, It's even longer, though, if they're... um, have more severe pain or they're just not able, they have more things to work on. Um, And so we don't have a set time frame that they would be with us, but I would say three to five weeks is kind of our average. And that would be a really intense um, 8 to 4.30 program where they're doing two to three hours each of physical and occupational therapy. And then they're also kind of getting a bunch of different other stuff too, which we can talk about in a little bit. But And so they're kind of getting this all-encompassed, you know, interdisciplinary team who's really focused just on them getting better. Um, and so it kind of, it it takes a little bit shorter period of time, but it's really intensive. When you talk about an interdisciplinary team, are, are there other uh, other professions, other other health professionals who, who may be a part of that team in addition to OTs and PTs? Yes. The interdisciplinary team with whom we work uh, is comprised of physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, our medical staff. So we have two physicians who are rheumatologists and a nurse practitioner. 
Um, and then we also have a psychologist who meets with the kids regularly, multiple times a week, a music therapist, and an art therapist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning a, a, a group of professionals in a uh, almost in a rounds kind of a thing, you know, getting together in a room to, to discuss a particular individual. Is, is that the way it works, or is it more kind of one-on-one, you might talk to a one of the people in the other professions, or, or or how does that work? It really is both. So each day, every day, we do have um, what we call our team huddle, and mm-hmm. we everybody who is available at that time will get together, and we discuss the kiddos and how they're doing um, on a day-to-day basis. Um, but then if there are more uh, issues that are bigger that might involve specific disciplines, then those two will get together. Um, and discuss whatever their specific things are. So, um, you know, for example, one of the kiddos that we've had uh, was going to be going back to school and had um, other issues going on beside her amplified pain, and so we were trying to figure out what kind of accommodations she would need at school. And so, you know, the OT and PT and the social worker all got together specifically to discuss what is needed versus what isn't needed. Uh, APTA has a has a, a big um, campaign going on called Choose PT that has to do with uh, trying to address the opioid epidemic. And, and I'm wondering, um, because these kids are in chronic pain, is there is there a a, a danger that they will be uh, over medicated? And and is that something that you're trying to address in your treatment? Yeah, I mean that's always a concern. The use of medications. I would say that um, the patients that come into our program. They are weaned off all of their medications before they come into our program. So we're a medication-free, exercise-based um, day program. And we find that research has kind of shown, and just uh, by experience, we know that patients with amplified pain syndromes, aren't, their pain isn't responding to pain medication or opioids. A lot of our kids, they, don't, they aren't on the medication when they come into our program. And when I talk to the physician, a lot of our kids aren't using opioids um, that she's seen in the clinic. But I guess the risk is kind of in the future. If we if we let these kids go and they get older, that is a you know huge risk that they're going to just get on opioids and kind of rely on those. In order to kind of go, get through your day, you have you can't be in so much pain. It's hard to get through your day. And so I guess if we can catch them early and we can help them get better earlier in life, hopefully we avoid kind of the use of opioids and we we don't run into that problem as much if we can catch it early. Can you talk a little bit about what the state of the research is right now and if there's promising research going on that you might you feel might give you answers that will that will help uh with these uh, with these kids in the future? Right. I mean, the research is is definitely limited in this area, and that's the hard part is that um I think a lot of places or a few places are, you know, collecting data and we're one of them we're, we're collecting a ton of re- a ton of data from our patients that were that are going through our programs. Um, in hopes that we can kind of find some links on kind of what causes this or, you know, who responds well to this treatment. There's not a lot out there right now, and that's the hard part. What we are finding is that what we're doing is helping our patients. Um, We're finding that they're getting stronger, their endurance is getting better, lots of good reports coming back from the families, and when we see them, we see them after a program at one month, six months, and 12 months uh, post-discharge, and we're finding we have really good results. Now, there's always those outliers. Um, the adolescents that aren't doing as well, but you know we're still we're working with them different things that we can do for them. But the research really is limited. 
So, so what advice would you give to a parent of a child who is experiencing increased sensitivity of, of pain? Are, are, are there some key do's and don'ts that you would, that you would tell that, uh, that parent in terms of uh, treatment of their child? I think the big thing that we talk to families about is that try not to talk about their pain or ask about their pain all the time. We often find that families, they get really used to, I mean, it becomes their life that, you know, their son or daughter is experiencing pain. And so often it's centered around, is this hurting you? Does this hurt? Um, What can we do to make you feel better? And really what that's doing is just kind of reiterating to the system that that pain is important. And so we're, you know, telling the brain, oh, let's keep thinking about the pain, keep thinking about the pain. What we've kind of found is that discussing the pain less, talking about other things, you know, praising, you know, the adolescent for what they're doing well, that that kind of helps the body realize pain isn't really the most important thing. And so we we kind of just encourage they talk about other things. So I think that's a big um, kind of don't that we talk about with our family. The other thing is talking about their stress or figuring out if there's stressors in their life because we know that stress causes pain and pain causes stress. It's like this cycle um, that we experience as humans. And what needs to happen is we need to be able to cope with our stress. Everybody has different coping mechanisms. You know, yours may be different than mine. Mine may be better than other people's or worse than other people's. Um, and that really does affect how our body responds to pain or how our body responds to things. And so this stress can be, you know, positive stress, like, you know, going to college or, you know, uh, being nominated for homecoming queen. Or it can be negative stress, you know, a divorce or, uh, you know, a, a fight with a friend. But we know that all of that kind of impacts the way that our body feels. Um, with things and how it responds and how it causes pain. And so this is something else that we just, like, help families realize and that maybe, you know, counseling, stress management, all that kind of stuff also needs to be addressed in order for the pain to really go away. And I don't think many families or even adolescents realize that, and oftentimes that's kind of an area that they kind of are more hesitant for. You know, like, they'll put in the physical activity and they'll do the occupational therapy but then maybe the stress management or the coping is just more difficult for them to kind of kind of want to participate in. But we find that that's a really important piece of this whole puzzle. Have you found that the numbers of uh, of children that you're seeing have 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 changed at all over the over recent years? I mean, nobody would dispute that it's a very stressful world we live in, and particularly stressful for 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 adolescents and children. Well, first of all, I think that this diagnosis is being diagnosed more frequently because people are becoming more educated, more knowledgeable um, that the diagnosis exists, and um, and they're becoming, you know, uh, more comfortable with diagnosing amplified pain syndromes or complex regional pain. Therefore, these kids are getting to us faster. They're getting into the pain management programs faster and hopefully getting into treatment programs or outpatient programs where it can be addressed quicker. But we definitely know that, like, just our society is, is more fast-paced and, you know, kids want to take AP classes. And we often find that the kids who we're seeing in our programs are very high achievers. They're, they're people pleasers. You know, they like to get, they get straight A's. They're very high-level athletes, things like that. Those are often kind of um, personality traits that we're seeing in our patients. And so, you know, if you have those personality traits, you're often you're, – you're oftentimes, like, striving to do better and, you know, can kind of ramp up that stress in that way. If you don't have those coping mechanisms, that kind of creates this kind of nasty cycle. Brandy Dorton uh, and Misty Wilson, uh, thank you so much for your participation. We really have appreciated it. 
Thank you for having us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.